Welcome to the Orion Podcast, hosted by Jessa and Laurel of A Stellar Co., a podcast that connects you with the knowledge and resources you need to drive a more conscious form of capitalism. Orion starts now. Laurel. Hey, Jessa. Would you like to introduce our guest today? Yes. Today we are here with Lee and Abigail of Cozy Design. Thanks for joining us. Hi, guys. Thanks for having us. Welcome, guys. And uh, Jessa, how do we know them? Um, it's funny. I was thinking about this before, and I definitely remember how I met Lee initially. And it was through the San Diego startup Slackboard, <laughs> which is an awesome community, by the way, yeah, if yeah. anyone's um, interested. But Lee was posting that you guys had some space available for co-working yeah. uh, with Cozy Design. And Laurel and I were on the prowl for some co-working space. We had been in WeWork and you know our time had passed there. And so we met with Lee and we realized that we were probably a little uh, too loud. <laughs> For your state, <laughs> but you guys are, you know, yeah. And but then we we like super connected with you, Lee, and we I really enjoyed speaking with you and realized there's probably some opportunities to um, connect in the future on things outside of just the co-working space. And then we met Abigail as part of that, and have had like meetings by once a month just to check in and catch up, yeah. and uh, really enjoyed connecting with you guys. Yeah, I'd back all that up. It's true, and it's and it's quiet here. And Laurel talks about how much she talks. What? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And you guys are South Park uh, adjacent to us now. So, like, if uh, the world was normal, we could be having coffee right now. And we but we look forward to the day. Yeah. We love your cozy spot, as our audience can see, our video audience. You've got a nice little yeah. fireplace right there. You've got space for dogs. It's a really good vibe. <laughs> yeah, we've got the dog, the dog bed, one of the dog beds over there. Yeah, people, people have thought that I'm, I'm calling from home uh, because, yeah, I mean, it's intentional. It's, it's intentional. I think we'll probably talk more about uh some of why cozy is the way it is but like the the space that we're in kind of speaks to to all of that basically uh, i'm in a position to make a place i want to be at so i'm gonna i'm gonna do that including including with the uh the space we're in plants and fire and what would you call this oh what's the hig higa there's the like danish uh, design direction of like basically warmth and cozy and wood and natural uh, uh, materials and stuff like that. H y g g e. H y. I've never heard of that. It's it's if uh, if you turned me into an interior design trend, it would be that one. That's a well-defined brand. All <laughs> <No>, right. <laughs> um, speaking of, so you are founder of Cozy Design. And can you give us an overview? I mean, obviously we get to see Cozy in action right now, but uh, like the design firm itself. Sure, yeah. Uh, well, so Cozy is at this point pretty much, it's kind of an outcropping of my background. So I will, I'll do the lightning round version of that because it can go on a while. But 
Uh, I started as my first job title was information architect, um, starting in like 1998. I know it's a it's a fancy sounding one. Uh, it's basically the kind of one of the precursor titles to what we now call UX design. Uh, and so I went to school for this. I went to a, I went to Carnegie Mellon. It's a good school for this kind of thing. Uh, I they were inventing these these majors as I was there. So like it's I really felt like I was there in the very earliest days. And um, out of there, I, I had a you know big a big agency consulting job for Sapient Global Agency and all that. Uh, bubble burst, if you remember that. I lost. I eventually lost my job. Uh, and then I, I did a bunch of, I've worked, so I worked, I've done the big agent, agency thing. I've done the big company thing. I was working at AOL. I worked at Teradata. I worked at, um, Eventful, which is a startup here in town, uh, a while ago. Um, to be honest, I don't know if this is something I should say as part of, say it. Do it. <laughs> to be honest, I never, I never did great with bosses. Um, I wouldn't say never, but like I had a tendency to, to not uh, be okay, kind of getting design direction from non from people who were not designers. So you know, at, at a bunch of places, you're you'd be a, a a designer that would be in the in the marketing department or in the product department or in you know some or, or technical. And you sometimes you have to get approvals from people. Who are, anyway, so I, it just seems like the world was saying you should not have to you should not have a boss because. <laughs> Not good for your career development. So um, partially, is it partially in response to that, and also because in my personal life, I was I moved from DC to California and then back and then back. Uh, I decided to start freelancing uh, about twelve years ago, and that was way better for me. I did a lot of UX work um, for I don't know if most is probably fair, but for a lot of the bigger agencies in San Diego, um, and then you know other other sh shops and. Um, and over time, I guess I just get itchy. Over time, I wanted to uh, <laughs> take on some new challenges, and also, I you know we, we had a, a kid on the way. Our, we were dreaming, I guess, of a kid on the way at that point. So I knew that I couldn't be doing the you know uh, working until two in the morning whenever I wanted to sort of thing anymore. So um, you know, partially for practical reasons, and also partially. Uh, just to get to touch more work without having to get, you know, myself personally stuck in, in, in endless iterations on wireframes and stuff. Uh, I started bringing on some other people as contractors to kind of work with me. And we've grown it into cozy where it is now. Um, so I bring up the sort of the backstory because all of that is the underpinning. So like this, this, this grounding in UX and information architecture and the big agency stuff from my sort of formative years. That's that's what I'm trying to carry forward uh, into the stuff we do now, which is not just UX, but also visual design and various kinds of digital marketing. Um, basically anything under the kind of digital designer marketing uh, realm. Uh, and I don't have, um, I, think I, I don't know that I could get myself a job as a, as a as a marketing director or something like that. But the, the, I say that I sort of backed into the marketing thing when I, as I realized that uh, I was sort of allergic to a lot of the design work that was happening out there. Allergic. <laughs> you know, you work with big, these big agencies, allergic. I like that. 
you work at these big agencies. Some people, I don't know, someone might be watching. I don't know. Uh, I've had these conversations with, with designers at these agencies too. I mean, we all, if you get it, if you don't get it, I guess, then this wasn't going to, we weren't going to sink well anyway. But anyway, I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm used to having this kind of, this part of the conversation one-to-one. <laughs> but anyway, at the, especially at the bigger shops, but also just sort of like an art school and uh, coming up, I feel like a lot of the design work that happens is first for yourself as the designer and second for the, for the client. Um, and so coming out of that, you end up with like every design job needs to be inventive and beautiful and bespoke and um, pushing, the, pushing new boundaries. And, uh, and as a result of that, everything takes a really long time. Uh, there's a lot of, I think, clients that come out of that feeling like, ooh, I gotta have a beautiful thing. And then, but then ultimately something feels like it's not quite representing them, which is at the end of the day, if you're a company and you're hiring some designers, their job is to represent your you and your company, not to represent themselves. So, so I started realizing that the that design, successful design should be achieving a goal. It should be likely it should be a measurable goal. You should be pushing numbers in one direction or another. Generally speaking, for the end number is you know pushing more conversions, pushing, pushing more sales, and that's kind of as a, like that. That's about when I realized that I was talking about marketing because mm -hmm. it's all about pushing, increasing those numbers. So whether it's increasing the number of people who are are looking at your stuff or the number of people who are converting from that into buying your stuff, it's all about like those kinds. A lot of a lot of marketing is about those those kinds of numbers. So. That's the perspective that I come at marketing from is um, like whatever tools we can use to improve those numbers. Um, there's so many tools out there. If you swim in these waters, you just learn about them through osmosis or because I just happen to love tools, I just sort of get my little grubby mitts in all sorts of things. <laughs> and so, yeah, I guess kind of putting a bit of a bow on it. Uh, the way I look at it is our job is to alleviate the concern or the worry that a sort of small to medium sized business or maybe a small to medium sized department in a business has from being really good at whatever it is they're good at. They might be fantastic developers or engineers or bakers or electricians or whatever it is. But then they know that there's this whole swirling world of internet digital things and they're supposed to be good at that too. And their competition up the street just hired some kids to make a website for them. And now they're rumble, rumble, rumble. Like I think we're living in a world at this point where people have to be freaked out about knowing computers uh, in order to be successful at whatever it is that they're really good at potentially. You know, if Joe is the best electrician in town, I want Joe to be the most highly paid and successful electrician in town. And the fact that he doesn't have a banging digital presence shouldn't be the thing that, that holds him back from that. So, you know, whether that's Joe the electrician or Joe the you know middle manager at a sort of a mid-sized company who's in charge of, of conversions or in charge of operations or whatever it might be, um, like that's, that's that's the motivation for me is alleviating anxiety from the world. We shouldn't be worried about this stuff. 
Everything's too stressful. <laughs> we're not opening hearts. We're not operating on brains. We're not, you know, we're not curing cancer here. We're trying to generate leads. We're trying to make our businesses succeed and all that. Like, let's let's take a pause, take a breath, and make it bit by bit. That's. I think Justin and I can resonate with that point a lot. Because like our we're business consultants and we might change and have a really positive impact on the world, but we're not dealing with life or death here. Like yeah. he's gonna die from this, so we, we don't we take our work seriously, but not the situation that seriously. Yeah, and similarly, like I think there's a, a common uh, I was gonna say crisis. I feel like the first that's a big word, and also right now, but um. I feel like there's a common sort of theme in the in the design world, in the digital world, whether it's designer development, of like the things we're making are these, they're bits, they're ephemeral, you can't touch them, they could get wiped out tomorrow. I worked on one project for way, like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. I worked on it for eight months when I was working, one of the times I was contracting for Sapient. And uh, then that company was bought and the new company just was like, nope, and just didn't use, they used their old version of whatever it was I was designing and not the new one. So eight months of work gone. So like, I think there's a certain ephemerality to it all. And, and I think that starts to wear on you over the years. And that's one of the reasons too, that I've sort of, it, I think like, like three, four years ago, I started to realize that the joy for me doesn't come from the bits and the ephemeral, all the ephemeral bits, it comes from the alleviating anxiety, the, the, the seeing somebody across the table be relieved because they know like my chances of meeting my numbers this, this year just went up or like maybe my company, maybe this company will continue to exist in, into next year, those kinds of things. I really like that, that your, the purpose of your company is tied to alleviating worry or making life easier because it's like yeah. okay, there's a bunch of things that you need to you could do and that you need to do to stay competitive in the world don't worry i got your back i'll handle it yeah and you need a shared goal not just something that i will upon you but something that you're yeah. proud of yeah and that so that and then that comes back to for us on the delivery side i mean setting realistic goals and then hitting them right like they're not gonna people are not gonna feel like like they're uh like they can rely on you if sorry i'm gonna turn off my notifications here this thing blanking at me i feel like they rely they can rely on you if you miss your dates and uh and doing quality work like the, like, the goal is that clients get to a point where they're they don't have to approve every line item everything that you work on because it's it's always seemed silly to me that a client hires any kind of contractor because they can't do it themselves. So you hire a plumber or you hire a digital designer and then you're the one who approves the work. Like, why should, why should I be, why should I be like looking over the plumber's shoulder saying like, uh, you know, I wouldn't have used that. I don't know. Wrench. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, and like, I feel like in the, in the digital world, Everybody like I, it kind of started with word processors where suddenly in like the eighties, everybody, everybody was an author or a writer because you had the same tools as actual authors and writers. You could write a thing, print it out. Look, he wrote a thing. 
Uh, and now everybody can be a designer. Everybody can create a website. Everybody can, can I mean, you go open up a Squarespace site. You can have something that 10 years ago would have been a $300,000 build and you can make it yourself in a couple hours, right? Um, but that's, it's, go ahead and try. It's <laughs> a lot more to it than just, than just like farting it out onto a screen. I can speak, I can attest to that. I'm like, oh, yeah. it's great. I'll just do it myself. Yeah, dot, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, so you're in your business. <laughs> you saw a need to alleviate worry and help guide people. So that's why, why you're in business. You saw a need and you're doing it. What What is your business culture like day to day? Like what's your mission, vision, values kind of situation. Uh, obviously, it has something to do with being cozy. Yes. Uh, so it's funny. Uh, Abigail is trying to poker face this one because she has a, a task <laughs> where we're trying to get a little more codified about some of this. Like, let's let's write down what our values are. Like, let's, let's be grown-ups about this. Um, I appreciate your poker face, Abigail. Abigail, by the way, is the, the producer at Cozy. She's our like like project manager sort of thing. Um, yeah. Just to give a reason to why somebody else is over there. It's like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, Abigail, like we at Stellar Co, we help businesses do that and put some definition around it because usually companies like you, like Cozy, you know what it is on the inside. Like you know yeah. what it is in your mind and you're behaving that way. But it, it is helpful to put it down so that customers and stakeholders in your business can go, oh, I, I really like that vibe. I wanna be a part of that. And yeah. it attracts those things. You're already naturally attracting the right customers, it seems. So it's yeah. not that critical, but for some startup enterprises, like it, it's critical to for them to help attract the right customers. It keeps and would keep us all honest. Like I think, like it would it would attract the right, right. It would it would make sure that people knew who we really were before we got started, and vice versa. I don't think, like we're we're not going to be, we're not going to be a great match for people who just want either the cheapest thing that they can get, because there's a kid up the street that can do it. You'll have to be the one that's that's over overseeing their, all their design work. It won't be that good. You won't know any better. Your numbers won't be as good as they as they otherwise would be at the end of all this. But um, we, you know, we're not trying to be. We're not, we're sort of at this middle ground, competing with your nephew who knows computers from the bottom, and the big agency in town who's going to charge you a quarter million dollars for a discovery phase from the top. Um, I want us to be offering a lot more of, of what those, I mean, we come from that sort of big agency where most of the people that I work with are, are or that I bring on to work with us are descendants from that, that big agency, fancy, expensive side of things. But there's so much cruft. There's so much that you don't need to do up there. So I'm trying to deliver as much of that quality uh, at a sort of squeezing out the, the, extra revision rounds and the dream quests and the peyote trips that get you inspiration. And so whatever, uh, like the truth is like when I, when you boil it down, like put, put me or any of our designers, uh, give us, give us 20 minutes, give us a half an hour and we'll design a better business. Just make it really consolidate. Like we'll design a better business card than a, than most people if they took three months to do it. So I'd rather get those 30 minutes and tell them this is going to be a 30 minute thing. Like let us get in there then tell them it's going to be 
a three month thing. No, we'll bargain it down to two and a half months. Uh, you know, like that's that's sort of how I see the the comparison between like what we're trying to bring to the table versus the the, the big fellas. Yeah, you seem more stakeholder focused than than what some of the bigger companies yeah. do, just by the very nature of their size. I like what you said about well, like let's just talk for like thirty minutes and like figure it out. And yeah it'll be much more efficient and effective. And so yeah. is that, is that like, how did you come upon um, Abigail's expertise and why did you bring her on and what's, what's your expertise, Abigail? Um, well, definitely helping to direct the conversation and um, sort of fuel that core of the business and just see opportunities like that. But just pointing out the obvious sometimes. So even in the background of Lee's frame, you can't see it right now, but there's a, the, the sign in the upper right corner says work hard and be nice to people. And that is the essence of Lee and Cozy. And that, oh God, I'm going to break my monitor off the stand. <laughs> and there, it's already the writing on the walls in terms of, how he really gets to know people. And I would even say it's be nice. Both of those things of delivering excellent work down to the apostrophes, which we have long conversations about in my background comes from studying linguistics and writing and editing and being that crucial, careful communicator, um, crucially sort of, yeah, just engaged in, in caring about the apostrophe and what, what role it's playing in the sentence as we had a conversation yesterday. Do we, is there any chance we can spend the entire rest of the time talking about badges and Yes. I have a specific apostrophe question. So go, if you want to get into what you guys are focused on, I have a specific one to ask a linguistic, linguistics oh, sure. expert. <laughs> go for it. Go for it. Okay. So I'm going to use Laurel's husband as an example, James. We all do. So, so, <laughs> so his name ends in an S. So if we're talking about James's lovely wife laurel is the where is it just james apostrophe or is it james apostrophe s first one i'm a jones so i had to learn that one early and i'm a i'm a lead that bothers me i don't i don't like just the one i like the s on the end i know it's wrong but like <laughs> well now i know it's wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, there are i mean there are some things that i think are that are style choices um, where it can get into a gray area. There's one, stand, I, this is getting weedy guys, but like, uh, so they're one of the like accepted punctuation standards. I can't believe we're doing this. <laughs> is when you're quoting, when you're using quotes, when you're quoting somebody, the, the, the punctuation goes on the, goes on the outside of the, of the, the closing quote mark. I think is ridiculous if it's part of the quote. If somebody says a sentence and you're oh. finishing the sentence, put the period in this inside the quote. So it's just me versus the the MLA or whatever. Like just I, I that's one style choice that I choose not to. And I also put spaces around M dashes. I know, I know. <laughs> okay, well, trending topic. Um one or two spaces after a period. Oh god, there's no there's only one answer to that. Okay. One, right? We're on the same page. Did you see the update from was it Microsoft Word? I think that they officially yeah. like about yesterday or the day before. I think so, you can change it in the settings to two for the people who are diehard. But 
I used to be diehard probably up until five years ago. And then when I read more about the logic, like the design and the typewriters and all that behind it, I quickly shifted. I'm like, oh, and now when I see it in text, it drives me crazy. Like I I can't, like I will go through and I'll go through templates and documents where someone, it's like an old template and someone has it to space and I'm like, oh, here we go. I got to go through this whole thing. And F, two spaces, replaced with one space. Yeah. And that's oh, a, lot of this wait. Stuff, a lot of this stuff does come back to the typewriter. Like in, when for all of time before that, we had all of it. We could make words bigger and smaller, spaces bigger and smaller because it was all done with a pen or paint or whatever. Chipped. Um, and then the typewriter came around and it was just one monospaced font. And that was it. So suddenly you couldn't make bigger titles by making them bigger. You couldn't make titles by making them bigger or heavier or darker. You could only change it from uppercase to lowercase to uppercase or do all caps. And that was it. So the typewriter just came through and ruined everything. And now it's now we're done with that. So we just need to like collectively get rid of the boomers, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, and the revelation from that came for with sentence casing, which I've been trained relatively now to, <laughs> instead of title casing, sentence casing. So that's another sort of in the weeds thing of there's no reason to have title casing, which we can talk about that. But more so what I want to steer the conversation <laughs> back to is that- We do have a whole but, deep dive on that. <laughs> um, this is where Lee and I get along and um, being that, um, that editorial sort of final review is a, is a big piece of what I do. And then just speaking to rational design and what Cozy does is that we are operationally super efficient in terms of getting the job done with no more or no less than was what is needed. So how you met Lee through San Diego Digital Designers, that Slack community, is what makes Lee so great in terms of being a community builder and pulling people in, pulling the right level of person onto the job and having this whole Rolodex of, of contractors in San Diego to give them work, provide them with opportunity, and then provide clients with this shrink-draft solution of just what is needed. And so it's really fun as my job being this sort of traffic controller and seeing all these moving parts behind the scenes and getting to be a second brain for Lee um, as we meet and um, with clients and and Rolodex folks is just being this interface. It's a really fun place to work for sure. Yeah, yeah when we when we went into view the cozy space and we met with Lee, uh, we were talking about how a stellar co is a stakeholder focused organization. And we bring the knowledge and resources together that people need to have a, to drive a more conscious form of capitalism. And I mentioned that one of the value adds we have is pulling from our Rolodex of (laughs) conscious constellations to use on projects. And Lee was like, Lee, you were like, I'm so glad you said Rolodex. <laughs> I still use Rolodex. And then you just brought it up now. And I feel like- just to, you know, I don't actually have, we don't have like a paper or one of those things, but <laughs> we do literally have a section of our, our project management system that's called Rolodex. And that's where, yeah, so like to, to Abigail's point, like that's a big part of the model here is we, we rely on uh, my network of, of contractors and we're always kind of tending that garden so that when a need comes up for, this is part of the not having to worry about something. So if, if we've developed that relationship with a client, 
and that client has a need that's anywhere in the realm of design or marketing, we can get it done because of this because of this network. Um, and in the meantime, by the way, we we aren't paying for those people the rest of the time, right? Like they're contractors, so that's the, the that's the shrink shrink wrapping side of it is. You know, we, we don't want to propose scope to clients because we have the people. Because we have the capability doesn't mean you need it. It's just, right? You know, so we put the right team in, in together after we figure out what the right need is. Um, and we know that we can do that well, because we do it and we, we just can see that it's working. But, um, but because we have this, this, like, because we're putting so much time and energy into nurturing this, this, this bench, this Rolodex, we've got, you let me know what you need. Yeah. I, I, that really resonates. I like that. I mean, that's how Jessa and I, um, you know, when we worked in the environmental consulting industry, just because you have, you know, if you work for the big guys, like the big companies, you have a massive Rolodex in-house of every technical expert you could ever think of from biology to water to bugs and bunnies to geology. But that doesn't mean that every project needs a hydrogeologist to talk about the water I can visibly see over there. Like, and so the shrink wrapping comes into play when you're like, oh, there's water visibly over there. I don't need somebody to go verify that it exists. I'm going to move forward and pull the right teammates I need. Yeah. And there are, so from the design side, design is, so I have so many rants. So design is not, right? Design is not done for self-expression. It's done to solve a problem. To solve a problem, you have to understand the context of that problem. It so, is? Yeah. <laughs> It is. I didn't know. So I thought design was to make people feel good or be attracted to a thing. If that's the goal. Okay. Right. So like, uh, so there are types of design that are not physical. So like there's now there's a whole field of, um, of voice design essentially that's, you know, designing apps for Alexa, something like that. Mm -hmm. So like, Oh, <laughs> I'm, gonna stop listening. I'm on a thing, Alexa. Um, she literally she just bonged. I don't know if you heard that. Yeah. Um, uh, so like so there's there's a lot of different kinds of design. There's there's uh, uh, aspects of design that are involved in in essentially in urban planning. Uh, so like making spaces that work for people, which doesn't necessarily mean that they're just the most beautiful. Um, They're just functional. They do the things that need to get done to make people the most happy overall at the end of the day. So like that's a really wide ranging uh, like solution space. Like you gotta, like, what does it mean? <laughs> I don't wanna get too philosophical. Like what does it mean? And, I, and I'm not a, an urban planner, but like in that context, like what does it mean for people to be happy in that context? How do you make trade-offs around, you know, certain population is gonna be less happy if we do this, but another larger population so like you get into those kinds of questions. Um, yeah. So uh, rewinding, I was talking about solving for a context. Well, I guess uh, you just you just answered my my question that I had. It was like design, it, depending on the the end goal, could be just function or it could be form. And right. I'm an urban planner, so I think of there's a place for everything and everything in its place. 
and, and e ecological designers do the same thing. This yeah. plant goes here to do this function with this thing that goes there to do this function and it all interacts. Okay, so you, you've clarified that. A lot of design on like, the, there's a world of like packaging design where mm -hmm. a lot of your job might be to get rid of things. So you might never see the design choice because it was something that involved allowing us to not include an extra package or an extra box or an extra insert or something like that. Oh, you know, like, like the ecological side is really becoming a big part of designer in the industry of our mentality. Uh, how can we use our, our skills to not continue to ruin the world, essentially? <laughs> um, the context thing I, I think I brought up because sometimes the, sometimes the context does call for the big hammers like the like we're gonna like sometimes the context calls for it's a high priority or a high visibility project or product launch for a high visibility company and you have to be a thousand percent sure about everything and so you're gonna do the big you know that I don't have a problem with you know breaking out big scope big projects for for those situations when it makes sense um I think my um uh, dis-ease comes from my unease, comes from applying that mentality kind of regardless of of the client and of the of the context. So, I mean, ninety-eight percent of I, I don't have I should put together enough. Like ninety-eight percent of companies aren't big enough to have to run like every even a whole website redesign or something that large through the kinds of like you know big agency processes with all the discovery stuff and all of the design explorations and all the UX. 98% of companies would be perfectly well served by doing a site that's very much like most sites. And I, as a designer, like I know what most sites look like now. It's a big, big hero area at the top, simple with a photograph in the background and maybe color and then a big headline and then it's got three sections below it. This is, this is the website you see all over the place. Most, most companies- hours. <laughs> Just fine. Like, Okay, here's my rant on that. For, We're gonna retitle this episode, by the way, to Lee's rants. Yeah, at some point. Which I love. I say yeah. that every day. I know. I need to. I need to. I need to put order to these. Um, so, I don't know. Six hundred years ago, five hundred years ago, uh, Gutenberg printing press, eventually newspapers, and every newspaper you picked up would be different than the one that was next to it. It would be, some of them were folded in a certain way, some of them were this big, some of them were this big, some had sections, some didn't, some weren't fun, all that kind of thing. Over the course of time, newspapers standardized, and now, maybe 20 years ago, but let's say now, when, when if you do know what a newspaper is and you use one, even if you don't, you know how a newspaper works. I don't remember the last time I picked one up, but you know how it works. It folds in half this way. Each section is folded a certain way. It's six columns. It's got a masthead here. The main story goes here, that kind of thing. Um, and now the, the the focus, like the newspapers are, they're not doing well, but not because of the, the design of the newspaper. It's the industry, but but the the, the focus moved in the, not moved away from differentiating your newspaper by its design and instead differentiating it by the content, by the reporting, by what you're putting into the newspaper. And so the fact that your, your website looks like the next person's website to me is great because that means somebody who visits your website will know how to use it. The same way mm -hmm. they can pick up a newspaper and use that. And so now it's up to you to tell a good story inside the newspaper. And I, I, don't, wanna, I don't wanna live in a world where every time, that's a more, just more strain in the day. If every time you go to any website, 
you have to learn the website. Oh. <laughs> Good point. That is so interesting. Yeah, I never would have thought about it from that approach because I think I would assume the instinct on both sides, like from the the design side or maybe the instinctive design side, and then the the client side is like, I want something different. I want it like, yeah. but like you said earlier, like designers are like designing for themselves. Like I would put my mark on it. My one of my friends who's like, she's a designer. She's like, my judge. And then for like me, and I'm thinking about a product. I'll have to talk to you guys after this, actually. Um, I've been thinking about you guys because we're working on launching a product. And I'm like, you think you're like, oh, I want this to be different and innovative and I want to stand out. But from a user, I guess like UX, is that the right term? Like that perspective? It's like, no, you want people to get the information they want readily, know how to check out, click some buttons and like make it is like especially if you're selling a product online like a like an e-commerce type thing like make yeah. it as simple as possible and so it's so funny yet obvious to hear you point that out of like yeah, yeah why aren't we just doing this make it easier there's like the structural level of the design so like what i would call a wireframe um okay. sort of like if you stripped all the colors and fonts out of it and just made boxes out of your page you know that people know for at that level what a product detail page typically looks like. If you go to Target or if you go to some local retailer and you go to their product, it looks, the, the, the name of it, the, the product is across the top and the photo is over here and the description's over here and the details are down here and the buy button's over there, right? Like we know that. And so when you get to that kind of page, your brain's just like, whoop, whoop. Like we all recognize patterns. You know, we know the psychology around stereotyping and chunking and, uh, and all these kinds of things around we're pattern machines, pattern recognition machines. Right? So, um, so do that, like follow that, follow that outline. And then within that outline, like play, what am I going to like layer your brand onto that, onto that outline. So like her, I think you said she, her, her product detail page might look different than the guy who's selling brake pads. He's, he's, I don't know. He's selling his, I don't know what kind of products other than just brake pads that guy has. But let's just say premium brake pads. Uh, you know, sure, those two things should look different, but they probably both have a photo over here with a title over here and a buy button over there, and, and so. Um, so, you, like, it's 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 not about making every website look exactly the same. It's not about squashing brand or branding um, or not standing out. Like, you can still have a you can still follow that same boxes, that same wireframe, and have a an ugly design versus a beautiful design. You should still want the beautiful design, but don't think you like reinventing this thing from the ground up. Like just follow design fundamentals, make it effective, make it clean, make it work and make it yours. But that's that's a much smaller ask than we want to invent the world's most impressive product detail. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And again, like if it's if the brand, if the company, if the client there is in the world of innovation and they have the budget and they have the timelines and they have to assemble the team and all that, like time and a place. Maybe that's the time and the, and the place to, to invent the world's, and they're willing to take the risk by the way, because if you're inventing the world's most amazing product detail page, most people are gonna get there and be like, what is this thing? Yeah. Right? And you're gonna have to explain it and hold their hand and like how yeah. well the funds to do that. But 1% of people will tweet about it and maybe that's the goal. <laughs> Is in Abigail mentioned the subject matter earlier, 
So how does all, how do all of the Lee's rants fit into the concept of rational design? And what does that mean? And like, how does it differ from the usual? Yeah. So rational design is uh, sort of this unifying concept that evolved uh, over the last year or two, really, um, that kind of ties all this together. So, um, and, the, and the, the core of it is that not every situation, not every client, not every client situation needs to get run through the same process. Not every, you know, we, we, we can have sort of our gold standard process. Every agency does. Frankly, they all look pretty much the same. You've got your discover phase at the beginning and then you structure things and then you start to design them and then you build them and then you optimize them. Everybody, had, they might tweak it a tiny bit. They might use different labels for it, but like pretty much that's the, that's the workflow. Um, and then each one of those steps has a bunch of things you can do and a, a bunch, you know, like 20 or 30 different deliverables could be attached to any one of those, those phases. Uh, and I think, you know, a lot of the, especially larger shops, their process is what like they would call that their secret sauce. Uh, and they are really, you know, there's sort of, there's pride in it and every client gets these um, sort of gold standard treatments for like, okay, welcome on board. Welcome to Acme Co. We're, we'll be designing your thing. First is the discovery zone. And you're gonna come in here and you're gonna spend three months and we're gonna do really big workshops. We're gonna pull 15 people into the room and 25 people from year end, and we're going to develop code. We're, it's going to be magic and all that. I've been in those. There is some magic. Most of the time is 22 of the 25 people wishing they were somewhere else. And that is expensive. Like, even if it's salaried people, think about how, how much it would cost your company to have 20 people or 10 people, let's just say 10 people, out of work, out of commission for half a day. Like, do, multiply it out and you know you're talking about many tens of thousands of dollars in, in in cost in addition to what you're paying the agency that's so like that mentality gets carried through through the whole process and you just do rivers of work um rational design is about kind of flipping it from here's here's the process and if you want to skip any steps in the process like we, we'll have to kind of argue about it and, and pluck those pieces out yeah the other way around to where we know sort of the table of contents of all the things we could do, how little can we get away with doing so that we can do an effective job coming out the other end following, let's say the, the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. Like, can we get 80% of the way there in 20% of the time and cost? Um, and if we can develop the right kinds of um, client relationships and expectations, the, the hope is that we get to a point where the, Developers trusted to do the development and the designers trusted to do the design and the UX designer to do that and the writer to, to do the copywriting. Of course, there's there's some reviews and stuff like that, um, but as much as possible, like let's try to fly through that process and get you to, if it's sort of the, the canonical example, like new company, new company or, or existing company, they need a new website. They, they just need more leads coming in through their digital channels. Uh, so likely you're going to want to redesign or at least refresh your, your website. Nothing else gets started until you get the website going. So let's not spend two years coming up with the perfect world's most perfect website. Let's spend two months coming up with a really good enough one. Go with the designer's <laughs> best guesses for design because they're good at it. Go with it and so on. 
And then let's get to work on doing other activities that pump more traffic into that website. And by the way, now the trap now the now the website is live, so we can start learning from your traffic and from your users, and we can start optimizing the website. And instead of sort of like really carefully looking at every atom of every page, we can recognize that okay, this one part of this one page is really the problem spot. Let's spend two weeks thinking about nothing but this one part of that and optimize that and come out of the whole thing. Like, and in the meantime, by the way, the world, your, your customers are experiencing your new and improved fancy 80% of the way there website. So yeah. rational design is, is, is that flip is that like, let's do as few of the steps. And for any one of them that we do, we don't have to do the whole thing. We can do a little bit. Personas is when I like to like kick around personas is basically like archetypes for the, the, the stakeholders involved in your website. So uh, if it's Joe's brake pads, he might have an end customer as a, as a stakeholder, and he might have a distributor, and he might have a supplier or something like that. I feel like he needs to name it Tommy Boy's brake pads. Oh, I know. Don't think I don't think about Chris Farley every time. I did. I almost did the joke about getting a good look of a of a oh. state by sticking my head up a bull's ass, but I didn't do it. <laughs> you got all the words out though. But I'd rather take the butcher's word for it. That's, I mean, you skipped right to the like the, the end there. Like, I was thinking about trying to say that. I was like, there's no way I get those out in the right order. Oh, and I was thinking in my mind, I was like, I should say this, I should say this, but I didn't want to interrupt you. But now that I am interrupting you, I'm going to interrupt oh, again by saying that your point about the, like this website if we follow the rational design process, this website is good enough. That's like Jessa's tagline. Yeah. And that's why good enough. <laughs> it's, it's good enough. So let's yeah. get it out. Whereas I'm normally the opposite of rational design. I'm like very, very detailed in everything has a purpose. Do you remember the part of the conversation where I was having trouble not talking more about sentence casing? Yeah. <laughs> so like... That's, but that's the, that's what allows the process to be very efficient is like, I know that we are quickly within any one of those steps, I can quickly, uh, without a lot of iterations back and forth with the client and everything, I can quickly get us to a high quality solution. So like, let's get, let's speed through and get to that and then like get that thing live. And it's, it, I don't want clients to feel like they're not empowered, like they're not allowed to have their, their inputs into it or anything like that. Um, like it's, it's as little back and forth as we're all comfortable with. Right. So at the beginning of a client relationship, that's more, right. Like we all need to get to know each other more. And then over the course of time, we have clients for whom they don't basically don't want to be bothered with like the stuff that we're putting out for them because they had, what are they going to say? Yes. Again, like, you know, there were 200 deliverables deep. We're good. Just keep, just keep making things. Right. And, and so that's like the ultimate like sort of structure would be we develop that relationship with the client and then we are the ones that know the digital space better than they do. So we can tell them where the opportunities are and we can help make the most, get the most bang for their buck. So we started like in um, shaping the, the work that we then execute. And yeah, yeah. you're the expert. Right? Like, I always take this back to give an example for other entrepreneurs out there that because you have so many years of experience doing every single like very detailed opposite of rational design process. Yeah. 
it's easy and comfortable for you to go, I can take this module out. Right. And move this module this way in the process. And right. we're still going to get to the end goal and it's going to be more efficient and you're not going to sacrifice quality for it. Trust me because I've been. We all have these, the, the areas in which we like that is the case for us. I notice a lot that um, like, especially like new, very new designers or very new anythings. When you first come out of school, you've got your book and you've got like the list of things you're supposed to do and you do them because that's what you have to rely on to know that you can get to a good point at the end. And as you do it over and over and over again, you start to recognize the situations in which, again, pattern recognition machines, you start to recognize the situations in which certain steps have more um, value or are, are just, they make more sense for this situation. Um, and over time, like, that's why, I mean, you don't see guru level anythings, whether it's designers or plumbers, doing the work the same way that 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 novices do they they can feel their way through it and this is this is kind of this kind of comes out of that and connecting it back to like rational design really is this like merging of all the of my whole like professional kind of path to here um like that is where i think i add value to the world more than revving wireframes um or or even or designs or something is recognizing where the efficiencies are, recognizing how to put together the right group of people to get the thing done good enough. And like, let's move on to the next part. And sometimes I'm, I need support in coming up with where the good enough parts are. Sometimes it gets into the weeds, you know, it depends on the context, but um, that's where, so rational design is sort of in the end, what keeps me personally feeling really fulfilled by doing this kind of work. Cause I can, it, it doesn't feel good to do to do like work that isn't improving the overall, I don't wanna say improving the world, that's a little highfalutin, I'm, you know, but like that's not adding, that's not making the most of you, right? So this is me trying to shape a world where I can do more, period. I, I guess that's the end of that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Single space. Mm. Uh, I have two things to add. Like you said highfalutin. I think it's so funny because Doc Shepard, I listen to his podcast all the time and he's always saying highfalutin <laughs> and I never hear it anywhere. Um, but he's from uh, like Michigan or Minnesota or somewhere up there. So I'm like, oh, I feel like you guys are like. Abigail, is, but Abigail and I have fun with words along those lines. And Abigail, yeah, so, duh. Uh, duh. Yeah. yeah. I like it. Okay. Oh, I'm and from then Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, like these these people, I'm using air quotes, are all using the same terms. Um, these people. <laughs> um, <laughs> Northern Midwesterners. Um, well, you were saying, but I kind of stepping back, but tying this into rational design is, you know, Laura was saying that I'm a big believer in like it's good enough. And because I haven't always been like that, though. And I realize if you don't get to a point where you say this is good enough, like you don't move on. And you get lost in the process and it becomes stagnant. And at some point it's like, we're never going to make process and, or, and sorry, progress. No value just keeps falling, right? Like yeah, every unless, you spend on it is, is less valuable. And I can only imagine with design because so many people have opinions about it. And it's very, from a novice side, it's very objective or I'm sorry, subjective where you look and they'd be like, oh, that looks cool. Or, oh, that looks bad. And you can't really explain why you just know you like it or you don't. 
And this is something early on, very early on when Laurel and I were forming a seller co where this came up and it was with design. If I yeah. remember correctly, and it, our, my friend, my same friend, I'm going to throw her under this bus because she had a meeting and couldn't make this live stream. And she's an amazing designer and she would never call herself a designer, but she's so good. And she made us these awesome business cards. I actually have them right here. They're so cool. And we love that we we had to rebrand yeah. so our names different now, but I, we are obsessed with them. And there's little like, you know, Easter eggs and the constellations in here and all that. But she, we needed business cards for, I think it was San Diego startup week or something. And we're like, we need them. And we, and she's like, it's not done yet. It's not done yet. Like, like your worst is better than our best. So right. this is good enough. Like, please. But she's like, I don't want to put my stamp on this. Like saying I did this. Cause I know it can be better. And I'm like, I don't care. Like if I have no one to give business cards to at this big event, this doesn't matter because no one's going to see it. So your context there, the business cards have zero value on your screen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank my friend for the, the lesson we tied in here. Oh, um, I, hope that, I hope that eventually you yelled at her enough that she was like, fine, here's the garbage I'm at now. Ugh. Yeah, I know. I think she did it. It's amazing. And we're like, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I love craftsmanship. I appreciate her, like her wanting to, to keep noodling on that. And not to sound like a broken record, but if that was the context, if you said, listen, we need, we need business cards eventually. And I don't want to pay you a lot. So make it a passion project, like take as long as you want or, you know, whatever the situation was, it led to it, you know, like there's good, fast, cheap pick, pick two. You know, if, if you said like, take your time, I want them good the other ones and cheap. Whatever. But the context was, I need these cards two weeks from now and like, chop, chop. So yeah, thanks for another Zero dollars to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> Which is even yeah. worse. <laughs> we took her to Lizzo. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Laurel, Laurel you hosted us actually. That's Which is uh, invaluable? Something? Yeah. Oh. You can't put a price tag on Shining. <laughs> Um, well, when, when are we respectful of your guys' time? Because I know we're close to the end and you guys are um, fortunately very busy. I mean, you guys have set yourself up well to, you know, stay busy in the time when a lot of people are, are seeing some um, stagnation. So just one other thing. I want to get on the boat of Lee's rants and then we can get into our, our closing. But Lee, I meant to ask you, I was thinking about your rants earlier. I noticed one of your rants in the uh, San Diego startup Slack is the when people at the whole channel. Oh, that's another rant. Yeah. Yeah. Which I respect. I'm like, fight the good cause, Lee, fight it. At least give me a react G. At least, you know, give it a thumbs up or something. Because I feel like I'm, there's always like three people in a community of like 2000 who will be like, that's not cool. And then like everybody else is like, don't be a nerd. Shut up. Get in the corner. <laughs> but it's like, well, yeah. It'll work. I'm like, oh, do I need to reply? And I'm like, wait, no, this isn't about me. Oh, but it takes me so long to figure out that it's not applicable to me that I've already. Right. right. So Slack admins, if there's any Slack admins out there, if you've got a group of people who don't all know each other, turn off the ability for anybody but you basically to at channel or at everyone. Like nobody should be getting, nobody should have the power to, it sounds dumb, but like nobody should have the power to make a thousand people's phones vibrate whenever they want. It's just uncool. So true. One rant. Thank you. We'll have to go back and like look at the transcript and write down all of the rants. <laughs> I love it. 
Yeah, and you were mentioning like the coronavirus thing. Like, uh, I think we are fortunate in that we just happen to be like not uh, as susceptible to a lot of what's going on right now. Um, so we already were largely remote. We I'm in the office space now, but you know we if you don't need to be in here, like Abigail was in here maybe half of the time, uh, other other people were in here less than that. If you don't need to be in here, don't be in here. I'd rather not have people burning time on uh, commuting, driving. Um, and also, you know, I think we had, we were already looking good for sort of our client load and everything. I think the big effect for us has been more of drying up the, the, um, the pipeline. I think, People are obviously uh, over the last couple of months thinking about other things and not as much about digital marketing. So I, I think it'll I think it'll even out and be uh, still a great year for for Cozy. And I think we're I think it's still gonna like the the industry. I think we're all gonna keep growing. Mm-hmm. I would like to say that it's a, the best time to uh, come at your digital marketing with the kind of efficiency that we care so much about. Yeah. You know, so if, if revenues are down, I don't think it's probably the best idea to abandon marketing when <laughs> that's going to like how, like that's going to drive your revenue. Right. Um, but you might want to be more efficient about it. So, you know, I don't want to be a vulture, like, but I think that the, this time might be, uh, relatively okay for cozy. Um, yeah. Yeah, we agree. And we would encourage our listeners and our conscious constellations to connect with Cozy. Ooh, that's four C's. Conscious constellations connect with Cozy. Oh, um, yeah. Um, O's too, right? Conscious. Mm, yes. Yeah. Um, because I would make the case that now is the time where digital marketing and getting your messaging and clarifying it. Like Jess and I just had a call with our advisors today about you know, revisiting, clarifying, and simplifying our stuff. Um, and now is a good time to do that. So if you're listening, when you're listening, engage with Cozy. And with that, me and Abigail, let's wrap up with your three-point landing or your three key takeaways you want everyone to know. Okay, so the, the first one uh, is exactly kind of what we were just talking about, which is essentially you probably should be doing some digital marketing if you have a company. If you're... You know, if you don't have a company, I don't know what, what I'm, I'm not sure why you're listening, but uh, I mean, or if you're not at a company, sorry, not everybody should be owning a company. Uh, but anyway, uh, I mean, digital marketing, I feel like for people who haven't experienced it, who haven't like, uh, like executed some of it, some of it feels like, like wizardry, like get some of that, some of that evil Facebook targeting power on your side, you know, like the, it's being used for the dark side. Uh, let's let's use it for what it was kind of originally intended for, and uh, and get your message to exactly the right kinds of people, uh, and make sure that those people then land on a website that you're proud of. Make sure that every touch point moves people a little closer to becoming a customer of yours. Um, so the first point is you should probably be doing some digital marketing, and if you're not, the people around you probably are. Your competition probably is. Second point. Uh, you should probably not be doing your digital marketing unless that's your background. But if you're Joe selling brake pads or Jane making pizzas or whatever other example we can come up with in the little neighborhood in my mind, uh, you should keep doing that. You should not be like, imagine how 
grossly inefficient it is for you to then be, try to get good at what we've spent, I'll just speak for myself, what I've spent the last 20 years doing. It's just a ridiculous way for the world to work. So I would prefer to live in a world where, what were the names? Joe makes the brake pads, Jane makes the pizza. No, to Tommy <laughs> should be making the brake pads. Tommy makes the, yes, Tommy makes the brake pads. Uh, Callahan Motors, right? Exactly. Uh, okay, so you should probably be doing some digital marketing. You personally should probably not be doing it. Um, and you don't need to do a lot to do something. So that's the Pareto principle. Like you can probably get 80% of the benefit for 20% of, of the budget. And by 100% there is, you know, what, uh, I don't, I don't want to shit talk anybody, but like what a big agency would, well, am I allowed to say bad words on this thing? Um, uh, you're, you're muted. That's probably for the best. Uh, but yeah, so like hundred percent is, you know, what a, what a big agency might put you through if you were to come to them with, you know, we want to improve conversions or whatever your, your problem was. Um, there are all kinds of things that we can do that are just these quick wins. If you come in, we're going to see, just like if I came to you about whatever your business is, I'm going to see a thousand little like quick wins, low hanging fruit, whatever you want to call them that we can get in there and start and start improving the, at the end of the day, you do need to have a website that doesn't get in the way that promotes your brand. That, and by promote, dare I, I just mean pushes people again, every touch point, people, uh, potential customers should become closer to converting. So you just want, you just want everybody to, to at every point of their journey with you, just what I'm saying over and over again, just become closer and closer to becoming a conversion. So you should, you should probably be doing some digital marketing. You personally, I'm realizing that some people will be just listening to this. You personally shouldn't be doing the digital marketing and you don't have to do some, do a lot to get, to do some good. Well Fee? said, thank you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you guys put a bow on this. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much. Thank you guys for joining. That was a great bow. I'm so glad that you guys participated. It's nice to see your faces. Same. Yeah. Um, next time in person. I don't know. Hopefully next time in person. Yes. Over at Mateo. By the way, Mateo in South Park. Yes. Yeah. Great. Okay. Support we'll local business. In, in South Park. And with that, send it, Jessa. Thanks for listening and visit astellar.co. That's A-S-T-E-L-L-A-R dot C-O for reference materials from the podcast and to connect with Jessa and Laurel. Foxhole Studios specializes in audio production and can work remotely to meet your audiovisual needs whether you live in San Diego or not. Getting a podcast started? Contact the team at info at foxholestudios.com for any and all inquiries.